This morning's message is uh, I've been looking forward to for a while. And um, yeah, God's just been stirring. And so it's, um, I just pray as I prayed a few moments ago that he gets out of me what he's put into me. Amen. Earlier this summer, I was getting ready to leave for work. And I noticed that there was a door-to-door salesman coming through the neighborhood. And I thought, thank you, Lord, that I'm leaving the house. But then I began to think about them and I began to think about what they do and how they go and they have to make a pitch. And they go door to door and I think uh, usually in the summertime we have some college kids that come through and they're selling books and they go through and they're knocking on doors and they're making a pitch. And in that moment on the way to work that moment, uh, that morning in my quiet time, the Lord spoke and he said, it's not a sales pitch. Friends, our Christianity, our faith is not a sales pitch. And that's what this morning's message is all about. He took something, and that's how God works, is he can take anything around us. He can take the birds. He can take the yeah, just the cool breeze. He can take even an annoying door-to-door salesperson. I'm sorry if there are any salespeople who ever listened to this message, or if you were one, or you know one. But listen... I don't know that I could be a door-to-door salesman today. Why? Because people don't want to be bothered. You know, when my grandfather was in ministry in the late 50s and 60s and the 70s and into the 80s, you know, back in the, the 50s and 60s, people sat around and you anticipated somebody stopping by. Amen? And you welcomed them in. And so the thing we have to remember about our faith is, and and making this correlation between a sales pitch and a salesperson, which our faith is not, is that people do not want to be bothered, especially in their homes. Because anymore, I mean, even the pizza delivery guy in our own community can't go to deliver a pizza without fear of being robbed and assaulted. That's happened in our own community. And so people don't want to be bothered. But as I began to think about this, it's not a sales pitch. As for those of you that know, I uh, have transitioned out of my full-time line of work at the hospital. My position was eliminated. And um, so I've started a business in the interim uh, called Barnabas Marketing. Barnabas was the son of encouragement. And so I've started this particular business. And a friend of mine, Chris Edge, and I were talking. And I told him, and and it's funny how this word pitch, that's what this whole message kind of revolved around. And as I'm trying to like tell people what I'm doing, I was like, I stumbled. I have like three or four things that I want to tell people and I couldn't even remember them all. And then then it was like, okay, Chris, whenever you're doing something new for the first time, you're not going to have it exactly right the first time. Amen. You're going to have to kind of fumble through it. And so Chris talked about, well, he said, do you have your elevator pitch? Do you have your elevator pitch? And basically that's where you're in an elevator for just a few moments and you've only got a few seconds to tell somebody something and you've got to let them know. And I began to think about that and I thought about, I thought about my buddy Chris, who's a school teacher. And the thing is, our faith is not a sales pitch. They don't want to see a pitch. They want to see your faith lived out. Amen? And so I thought about my friend Chris, and let's say he's in a faculty meeting. You see, if Chris goes into that faculty meeting and everybody else is 
like they get some news and they're just like, oh man, you know, and they're just, they're grimacing, they're mad, their body language has changed. But yet Chris, who's a believer, if Chris is in that situation and he kind of says, okay, God, I don't understand this. I know you do. You go before me. I'm going to trust in you. And he kind of has this sense of calmness. Do you think people are going to notice that? Yes. They will. And so what does that mean? That means that Chris will in turn, when, when Cindy comes up to Chris, let's say Cindy was teaching there too, and Cindy comes up and says, well, Chris, everybody else in that meeting was ticked off. Everybody else in that meeting was, you know, they're anxious. Why aren't you? Therein lies what we're to do. We're to live out our faith in such a way that we glorify our Father. And so as Chris is not anxious and he's not, his body language is not, you know, tense and he's not, you know, look like he sucked on some lemons, then people are going to want to know what's different about you. You see, friends, people don't want to pitch. They want to see a faith lived out. Don't tell me what you believe, show me what you believe. Don't tell me what you believe, show me what you believe. Don't say who you are, show me who you are. Right? And so this week as I was preparing for this particular message, I saw a tweet from a pastor that I um, I follow on, on Twitter. And he said this, Christian, the authenticity of your beliefs is revealed in the patterns of your behavior. The authenticity of your beliefs is revealed in the patterns of your behavior. Another pastor that's a Barnabas to me is a pastor by the name of Dave Adamson. He's a, a digital pastor. I don't even really know what he does except he posts on uh, Instagram a whole lot. But I find his tweets, I find his posts to be encouraging. And listen to what he said. He had a picture and it was on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. And listen to what he said. He said, do you want to make a point or make a difference? Do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Whenever I've walked, this is him talking, whenever I've walked through Times Square, New York, or even here on Bourbon Street in New Orleans, I'm always surprised by the number of people holding signs that warn passers-by that they're going to hell or asking if they know where they will spend eternity. I don't remember Jesus scaring people into following him. My friend and author, Dr. John Hamrick, says Jesus didn't see others, listen, as projects that needed to be fixed, but as people who needed to be loved. Author Bob Goff put it this way, the way we treat people we disagree with the most is a report card of our faith. The way we treat people we disagree with most is a report card of our faith. Jesus welcomed unchurched people. He spent time with those who were far from God and he loved them. Friends, it is not a sales pitch. People don't want a pitch, but they want to see a faith lived out. And so as I began to just, that's what I do sometimes is I just take a note. And I wrote that. It's not a sales pitch. And then I wrote kind of something else. And I'm like, okay, God, I don't want to just randomly pluck something from your word. And the other evening, I have this app that I use occasionally that's called Dwell. And part of the deal with Dwell is that it's 
um, an app that reads scripture to you. And so you can do a lot of neat things with it. You can change the voice and speed it up or slow it down. And it has background music and you can change all of that. And I was laying in bed one night as I was unwinding, about to go to sleep. And I was going through the study of Acts. And it read... Acts chapter 4. So I encourage you, will you take your copy of God's Word, open to the New Testament, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts, written by Luke to Theophilus, which was a wealthy man. And really, Luke and Acts are really kind of one book that have been broken apart. And so I just want to give you kind of the tenor and the tone of where we're at this morning. If you want to know what the first church looked like, if you want to know what church today should look like, study the book of Acts. So in in Acts, we see in chapter 1 that Jesus is there with the disciples and he ascends to heaven. He promises the Holy Spirit that it will come and it will be your comforter. It will be your helper. And then in chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit does indeed come. We We see Peter's sermon at Pentecost. And so that day, Scripture tells us that 3,000 souls were saved. In chapter 3, we see that Peter and John were going into the temple, and a lame man, remember the song that we sang this morning, that a lame man was healed. In chapter 3, it says, And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they had laid daily at the gate of the temple. And so basically he was asking for different things. And so then he was asking for alms. And then in verse 6 of chapter 3, we see where Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. What did Peter have? So this is setting the tone for where we'll be in chapter 4. So in chapter 3, verse 6, we see that. And And Peter goes on to say this, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Now listen to the man's response. Listen to the man's response. Verse 8. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. When God does a work in your life, there should be praise. Amen? He was not only walking, which he was unable to do, but he was leaping and he was praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. So other people saw this. So if you will, look with me in chapter 4. We're going to read a portion of chapter 4. And so here we see Peter and John are before the council. And your word of the Lord will say similar to this. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest And the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananias, sorry, with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. 
And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no salvation, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather Then to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they were further, when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Lord, may your words speak and may your Holy Spirit Help us to see you clearly. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to start this morning and I want to call your attention and let's step through this passage. It is a long drink of water, but we're talking this morning that it's not a sales pitch. Our faith is not a sales pitch, but that people want to see a faith lived out. Right. I have a friend of mine who's in ministry and he said, Chris, he said for years, he, he, we, you know, we went out and we would go and say, hey, if, if you die today, where are you going? Where will you spend eternity? And so, you know, I don't know about you, but when someone kind of confronts you, sometimes you'll just say whatever you need to say to get them out your face. Amen. And so people would supposedly make these. And I'm not saying, well, I said supposedly, but sometimes it is. I don't know how genuine it was. Not that we're to question someone's faith, but they, they confess Christ and it's like, great, pray this prayer and they're saved and then, okay, have a great day. Where do we see that in scripture? Because in Matthew 28, it says, go and make disciples, right? I don't know about you, but you can't make a disciple. You can't invest in someone's life with a tweetable, with a nugget of wisdom, with a question. Oh, you're saved. Great. Good luck. Have fun with that. Where are we walking alongside people in their lives? It's not a pitch. They want to see a life lived out. And so in this passage, we see in verse 2 that the Sadducees and the priests, it says this, that they were not only annoyed, but they were greatly annoyed 
Why? Because they, Peter and John, were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus. That's not a pitch. Amen? It's not a tweetable. It's not a nugget of wisdom. It's not a question of eternity. But they were teaching the people and they were proclaiming Jesus. So as the word pitch is kind of a key word in this particular message, let's look at what the difference between to proclaim and a pitch is, okay? When you proclaim something, it means that you're going to preach it, that you're going to declare it, you're going to speak it, you're going to show it, you're going to teach it. That's what it means to proclaim. Can I tell you what, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read, sometimes when I study, I read words that aren't even on the page. Like, it's, I thought it said, as I was reading one of the definitions, that it said that we're to spew. But it was to shew, so sh- to show, but it was, as f- it was a, um, a, an older spelling of show, which was S-H-E-W, whereas nowadays we spell it S-H-O-W. So I, said, I thought it said spew, and I was like, oh yeah, we're supposed to spew. Oh, wait a second, no, that's not right, that's not right. We're not supposed to spew. So when we proclaim something, we're preaching it, We're declaring it, we're speaking it, we're teaching it, but ultimately we're showing it. Amen? That's what we do each and every Sunday morning Morning is the proclamation of God's Word. It's to go forth that we're teaching it, we're declaring it, we're showing it, and we're teaching it. Amen? What is a pitch? A pitch is often a high-pressure sales presentation that we're presenting or we're advertising in a high-pressure way. And we're attempting to persuade. Pitch, proclamation. High pressure and showing. Which are we to do? Are we to pitch Jesus or are we to show Jesus? We're to show Jesus, right? Because if I can tell you this, and this is why sometimes people say, well, your, your invitation time is a little off from what I've seen. Well, you know what? That is a very special time that I don't take um, lightly. Because why? Because if I can pitch you, or if I, not that I do, but if I was to pitch you, if I was to say certain things that talks you into something, then someone else can talk you out of it. Amen? But when God, when the Holy Spirit is moving, and He's working on your heart, then no one else can try to take that from you. Amen? And so I'm very careful in that time because I don't want to say or do anything to where you're coming on something that I've said. But I want the Spirit of God to be moving. And so know that we also don't necessarily have a typical hymn, uh, the hymn of invitation where people come forward. You know, we do that occasionally, but there hasn't been a whole lot of move of people. And also just because if this church was packed and people came down and Miss Betsy played and people were singing and I could have a conversation with someone, that would be different, right? Because you wouldn't necessarily be able to hear. There would be kind of something that would cover you. But you think about it, as small a group as we are sometimes, first off, A, you come down, ooh, what's wrong with her? Which that should never be the case of what you would think. And I'd be glad to pray with you. But also... That just, it doesn't work in our environment. So know that my goal is I want to have conversations with someone. So that's grabbing me afterwards and saying, hey, I got a question. I feel like the Lord's stirring. Can you pray with me? Yes. Be glad to. Okay. Does that make sense? So just kind of a teaching moment of kind of why we have um, done those things. 
So they were teaching the people. They were proclaiming Jesus. So we're not to, to pitch him, but we're to proclaim him. We're to show him. And then it says they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. I don't know about you, but when was the last time that you were making so much of Jesus that you were arrested? Right? I mean, but also the text shows us that they were arrested. Just because you know Jesus, just because you proclaim Jesus, does not mean that you will not face opposition, which may even mean imprisonment. Amen? I mean, in the world we live in today, the darker the times become... It is not that far from reality as far as in the biblical times. Verse 4, But many of those who had heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. So everybody wants to hunker down on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. But then here, just not too long after that, in chapter 4, we're told that the number of Listen to what scripture says. The number of men came to about 5,000. So can you imagine that those men were probably not alone because they probably couldn't have got there without their wives. Amen. Because they would have just wandered wherever they were supposed to go. They wouldn't have made it on time. Right? Their wives have to keep them straight. But there were probably women and there were probably children. So scripture tells us that we know at least 5,000 were saved, but that number was even higher. Were they pitching Jesus or were they showing Jesus? Were they preaching Jesus? Were they teaching Jesus? They were doing the latter. Then in verse 7, I just want to pluck out a few things from this particular passage as we go through. In verse 7 it says, And when they had set them in their midst, being the scribes and the Pharisees and the high priests, and they asked them this question, they inquired, By what power or what by name did you do this? You see what I'm saying? Whenever lives are changed and things begin to happen, they want to know, Hey, what, what power? What power made this happen? And what name did you do this? And, and go back to chapter 3. Go back to chapter 3 where he, um, John tells them. And he says, um, I, had, I had chapter 3 written down in my notes. I mean, go back and read chapter 3 by what power? I mean, in chapter 3, verse 16, it says, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. See, that's what it is. is It's the name of Jesus. So then, verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. How about that? It wasn't just Peter alone, but Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. That's how he answered. Verse 10, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Listen, there is power in the name of Jesus. Amen? There is power in the name of Jesus. He tells us, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. Look in verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. That has become the cornerstone. Well, in today, let's camp out on the word cornerstone for just a minute. In today's world, you know in buildings, you typically have a cornerstone, right? It's become very ceremonial. It's to commemorate its dedication. But in architectural terms... The cornerstone is the first stone laid in a building's foundation in which all others are laid in reference. 
Christ should be our cornerstone. Amen? Not only should He be our foundation, but He should be the cornerstone on which everything else is built. Because just like in building this building, when you set the cornerstone, it's set and it's marked and everything else is built off of that. Could that be said of your life? Is Christ your cornerstone? Is your life built with Him first? And you might say, well, Brother Chris, I was saved when I was 12 years old. Praise God. But where is He in your life now? Because when you put Christ first, then you can begin to build on that. There's an illustration that you'll see a lot of times with a, with a jar and some golf balls and some sand and some other things. And what's crazy is they put all this other stuff in and then they try to, they, I think it's the sand that they use and they try to put it in and it won't all fit. But when you put God first, everything else falls into place. Amen? But when you try to just sprinkle him in on the top or just cram him down in there, he's not going to fit. So is Christ your cornerstone? Let's look at verse 12. If there's a verse that should be underlined in this particular chapter in your Bible, it should be verse 12 because Scripture says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be Say, not only is there power in the name of Jesus, but it is in and through Jesus. It is his name in which we are saved. It's his finished work on the cross in which we are saved. Amen. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. Can I remind you something this morning, folks? It's not what you know, it's who you know. Have you ever heard that statement before? It's not what you know, it's who you know. And I want to tack on to that this morning. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? If you have, if you know Him, and if you have a relationship with Him, then you know more than you think you know. Listen, listen. If you know Him and you have a relationship with Him, you know more than you think you know. Because listen, God doesn't want to use the one that's highly educated and the one that's sophisticated. Scripture tells us right here that they recognized, that they perceived, that they were uneducated, common men. And they were astonished. They were astonished. And then scripture tells us, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Can anybody in your life recognize that you've been with Jesus? When you come to church on Sunday morning and you leave here and you go out into your homes, you go out into your schools, you go out into your workplace, can anybody recognize that you've been with Jesus? Jesus. Can they? Think about that. Can they recognize that you've been with Jesus? As I was reading and studying, I ran across this. You can count the apples on a tree, but who can count the apples in a seed? 
You get what they're saying? You can count the apples on a tree, but who can count the apples in a seed? And so, friends, so it is with the influence of a single person. Edward Kimball. Anybody ever heard of Edward Kimball? Nobody jumped up and shouted, oh, I know him. No. All right, I didn't know who Edward Kimball was. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who prayed and sought to win hyper young men to Christ. I don't know if you've ever taught children, but sometimes, or you've had children or had grandchildren, young boys can be a handful, Amen. But this man, Edward Kimball, he was a Sunday school teacher and he prayed and he sought to make sure that they were one to Christ. He didn't just pitch Jesus to them, but he showed Jesus to them. Amen? He showed them Jesus. Edward Kimball got to one young man. He went to his work and he had a conversation with him. He was invested in his life. And that man's name that he won or that he led to Christ was named Dwight L. Moody. You ever heard of him? Dwight L. Moody reached two continents for Christ. As Dwight Moody was going on to preach and teach and and doing what he did best, there was a gentleman named Wilbur Chapman who became an evangelist. Have you ever heard of Wilbur Chapman? I'd never heard of Wilbur Chapman. And one day Wilbur Chapman was an evangelist and he was going around, he was showing Jesus, he wasn't pitching Jesus, he was preaching and proclaiming Jesus. And there just happened to be a professional baseball player who had a day off. And he came and he came to that service and he was saved. And that young man's name was Billy Sunday. You ever heard of Billy Sunday? So Billy Sunday was saved. He quit baseball and began a life of proclaiming Jesus. Then as Billy Sunday began to preach and teach... There was a gentleman by the name of Mordecai Ham. Have you ever heard of Mordecai Ham? I never heard of Mordecai Ham. And so, at the same time, so Mordecai Ham, take that, right? So we're talking about you can count the apples on a tree, but you can never count the apples in a seed. Okay? And talking about people's influence and talking about them, you know, we're correlating this to our faith and then preaching and teaching Jesus. So Mordecai Ham comes to Charlotte. I think it was in the 30s. He comes to Charlotte and he's doing an 11-week crusade, what turned into an 11-week crusade. There's a gentleman named Albert McKin. McMakin. M-C-M-A-K-I-M. McMakin. Albert McMakin. Has anybody heard ever heard of Albert McMakin? No. Why? Because he was a common man who wasn't pitching Jesus, but he showed Jesus. And he worked on a dairy farm, and he would load people up in his truck, and he would take them to church. Well, this young one, this young boy who was in the Charlotte area, he was um, he didn't really want to have a lot to do with things of the church, and so Albert McMakin he invited him. He what? He invited him. He invited him. He said, listen, if you come to church and we're going to take all these people with us, how about I let you drive my truck? Right? And he came and there was a young man in that service and his name was Billy Frank. His name was Billy Frank. And Billy Frank got saved. 
Many of you would know Billy Frank as Billy Graham. So think back with me, friends. If we're, it's not a sales pitch. We're not to pitch Jesus, we're to show Jesus. And so think back with Edward Kimball. If Edward Kimball had never been obedient to the call on his life, you wouldn't probably have Dwight L. Moody. And then Wilbur Chapman, and then Billy Sunday, and Mordecai Ham. And if Albert Mamakin wouldn't have said, Hey, Billy, I want you to come with me, and I want you to go, and I want you to hear this preacher that's on fire, and he's a fighter, and I want you to hear what he's saying, because it has power, not in the pastor, but in the message that he's preaching. Billy Graham was saved. Could you imagine a world without Billy Graham? So can I tell you this morning that as you depart from here this morning, do your part in the kingdom and trust God for the results. Do your part in the kingdom and trust God for the results. Are we to proclaim Him or are we to pitch Him? Friends, this morning I will tell you unequivocally that we are to proclaim Him. That we are to show Him in our actions. We are to show him in our reactions. See, friends, you don't have to sell Jesus, but you should show him in your actions. You should show him in your reactions. You don't have to sell Jesus, but you should show him in your actions. Verse 20, verse 20. They say, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. What have you seen and heard? What have you seen and what have you heard when it comes to the glory of God? What have you seen and what have you heard? Can I encourage you this morning? Share it. Take what you know and go. Amen? Take what you know and go. Invite, share, encourage, point them to Jesus in word and in deed. If you need a verse of scripture that is basically the gospel in one verse, is 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3. In four, I said one verse, but basically two. So first Corinthians chapter 15, verse three and four, but really three if you want to only have one verse. But listen to what first Corinthians 15, three and four say. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. What did Paul receive? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture. That in itself is the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins. Amen? And that He was buried and that He was raised from the dead. It's not about a pitch. It's about a person. And His name is Jesus. It's not about a pitch. It's about a person. And His name is Jesus. I ask you again, what have you seen and what have you heard? Share it. You know what I've seen? I've seen God heal marriages. I've seen God mend broken friendships. I've seen God give strength. I've seen God bring clarity. I've seen God send peace. I've seen God encourage with His Word. 
I've seen forgiveness on display. I've seen love in action. And praise God as your interim pastor here at Bible Fellowship Church, I have seen people take next steps towards Jesus. I've seen people take next steps towards other people who may look, who smell, and think differently than them. But as we talked about this morning, if we want a report card of our faith, how do we treat those that we disagree with? That's what it says about our faith. If you want a report card, I don't know about you, how many of y'all liked report card time when you were a kid? Amen? You really, you got it, but you didn't want mom and daddy to see it. But what would your report card, your faith report card, say about you? Listen, friends, last nugget of wisdom before we close out our service today. Oswald Chambers says this. Being a disciple means deliberately identifying yourself with God's interest in other people. Deliberately identifying yourself with God's interest in other people. When people walk up to you and they have a conversation, good God, don't just like, you know, it's like everything about you. Everything about yourself. But how about, well, Liz, what's new with you? Tell me what God's doing in your life. Terry, what, how is God moving in your life? Danny, what, what's the Lord shown you? Turn the focus. It's not always about you. Amen? It's about the Lord. And it is about other people. Other people. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I thank you that months ago, just backing out of my driveway, you took a door-to-door salesperson and you placed this message on my heart. Lord, that it's not a pitch, but it's a person. Lord, that we, it doesn't matter what we know, it's who we know. And God, if we know you, then you own the cattle on a thousand hills. God, as we talked about this morning, you are our strength, you are our refuge, you are our cornerstone, which everything should be built. And so, Father, I pray this morning that For those that are here under the sound of my voice, I pray that your Holy Spirit has pricked their hearts. Lord, there's been seed cast this morning. Your word says when we preach and teach your word that it doesn't return void. And so, Father, I I stand on that this morning. Lord, just trying to be obedient to scatter seed. Lord, I don't know what any one person in here might do for your glory. Father, I don't know who in here might touch someone else to go on to reach millions, to reach a community, to reach their family, to reach their lost loved one. But Father, I pray that we would seek you first and foremost, that we wouldn't try to pitch you to our friends, but that we would live a life surrendered to you, being obedient to what you've called us to do. And Lord, just show them Jesus in us. God, help us to show Jesus in our actions and our reactions this week. Father, we pray for those on our, on our prayer list. We pray for those in our congregation who stand in the need of prayer, who stand in the need of a touch. Father, you are the mighty physician. You are the mighty healer. You are the comforter. You're the author and finisher of our faith. And you are the everlasting rock. 
And so, Father, we trust you. And we go forth in your name. Because in your name, there is power. There is power. There is power. We thank you. And we love you. Amen.